It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, uh, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website's 27East.com and SagHarborExpress.com. Behind the Headlines is our chance to bring together award-winning community journalists from throughout the East End, and we take a little bit of a deeper dive into the week's news. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And with us today, we have Brianne Letta, who is a staff writer at the Times Review Media Group. Hey, Brianne. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Denise Civiletti, one of our regulars, uh, an editor, the editor at uh, Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Hello there. How you doing? And always happy to have Brian Cosgrove, who's an on-air personality here at WLIWFM itself. Uh, thanks for letting us share your airwaves, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. So uh, I think we probably have to talk about the elections, right? This was uh, this was an off-year election by all standards, but it was still a very interesting one, and uh, a lot of stuff happened locally. Um, Brianne, maybe tell us a little bit about what happened up your way uh, up on the North Fork, and uh, we'll get to Riverhead, and we'll swing down to the South Fork as well. But let's start on the North Fork. How did it go up there? So I spent election night um, covering the South Hill Democrats, uh, which was pretty interesting because, as you guys no, um, Long Island saw a red wave for the most part, but um, Southhold had a lot of um, a lot of Democrats won positions in, in Southhold. So they called the race for Greg Dorosky for uh, town uh, board, and they called um, Eric Sepanowski for town trustee. Um, and there there were a number of other Democrats who were in the lead on on races. Um, the only uh, Republican candidate that they called the race for was Dennis Don Caro for um, town clerk. Okay, and how about Riverhead, Denise? How did it go there? Well, Riverhead, um, we, Riverhead, all, it was a Republican sweep in Riverhead. Um, the uh, incumbent supervisor was uh, reelected to her second, uh, second two-year term. And um, the two uh, Republican candidates for town board were elected. The Republican uh, highway superintendent candidate was elected. Two Republican um, assessor candidates, a long term, uh, the longest serving public elected official in town history actually uh, was reelected. And that's uh, Laverne Tenenberg, the chairperson of the, our, uh, our board of assessors. Um, so after, after January 1st, uh, there's one uh, elected Democrat in the town of Riverhead, and that's uh, town clerk, uh, Diane Wilhelm. So um, it, it was uh, it was a, and, and it was a sweep by a lot. I mean, every every race was, they won by significant margins. I think we might have even um, snuck the L word into the uh, the story. <laughs> so um, for landslide, I mean, still down um, down in our way on Southport, we sort of had a mixed bag. Southampton uh, went one way, and East Hampton went the other, right? Yeah, we saw um, East Hampton seemed to to buck the uh, the red wave trend, and it was um, it was it was pretty much a, a democratic uh, a sweep. Um, Supervisor Peter Van Skoyek was was reelected. That was an interesting race because it was kind of a three way race there with um, for for supervisor Kathy Burke Gonzalez, Democrat, easily won reelection on the town board, and Kate Rogers uh, captured the other. Uh, town council seat on the ballot. Uh, it was fun fun watching the East Hampton race on Tuesday night because 
Um, ironically, the um, the vote counts um, that, that get reported to the Board of Elections and then that we watch uh, were were uh, hamstrung by poor cell service in East Hampton Town. Mm. So for hours and hours, we were watching those numbers and they just weren't weren't going up and weren't being reported. And um, it's interesting, ironic because that was one of the campaign issues in, in East Hampton is, um, you know, improving self-service uh, in the town. And I think hopefully maybe this will this will prompt that a little more um, in Southampton. Yeah, we we saw. Um, uh, Tommy uh, Cynthia, Cynthia McNamara, who is a Republican town board candidate, um, actually was the top vote getter in the election. Um, um, uh, Mr. Schiavone was uh, Tommy John Schiavone was was reelected um, in, a, in a close second on on town board. Um, we were watching those uh, results Tuesday night, and it looked like it, it for a long period of time that um, that he was going to lose that election. But the uh, the final four uh, four uh, election districts reporting in that night were apparently from his uh, home area of near Sag Harbor and uh, and put him over the top to to get reelected. And of course, there was no supervisors race. Um, so it was it was kind of all interesting to watch. Republicans did did well in in Southampton. Uh, Charlie McArdle took the um, took the town highway uh, superintendent spot, um, and we did see that you know, like I said, Cindy McNamara took the top spot for um, for for town board. And in Southampton, that gives the Republicans two seats on the five member town board. Correct. That's uh, so. And, and I mean, the the Democrats have held the majority on the board for a while now. After many many. Republicans. Right. And, and it looked like that was going to switch, um, you know, Tuesday night. You've got Rick Martell, who's a current uh, Republican town board member. Cindy McNamara was, um, you know, was leading the way and it, leading the way. And it looked like um, and it looked like uh, Tommy Jenskivoni wasn't going to quite pull it out. And so that would have been a, a, a town town it, um, conservative Republican conservative um, and Thomas looked like she was going to take the second spot, which would have meant a Republican control of the of the town board. Um, but again, at the very last minute after midnight, <laughs> those numbers changed, which is uh, which is why you got to wait till the end, I guess. There's still still a little drama in an off year election. So yeah. were, were, were there any surprises here? Anything anything sort of stand out to anybody as being um, a surprise? Not on the count, not on the town level, but I thought the um, the county district attorney race was was really surprising um, that, you know, Tim Sinney was was defeated um, really, really handily. I mean, by by a by a large number, it wasn't a close race at all. Um, and, and I was kind of surprised by that because he's pretty well known um, and had a lot of it was well funded also. Yeah, a very aggressive campaign too. He went after uh, the incumbent uh, district attorney pretty strongly, and I, you know, clearly that was the right strategy in in, in that race. But is it, so? Did oh. he just ride this red wave? Is that is that sort of what we can? You know, the Republicans in Suffolk County have been losing ground uh, as far as uh, you know party registration goes over the last few years, and the Democrats have been gaining ground. But it's really, Denise, it's about getting your people out to vote, right? If you don't get vote. You know, a lot of it is, a lot of it, certainly, Riverhead, I, I feel it, it's a lot of his political, his organization, his political organization. And, you know, 
Um, uh, you know, I, I'm going to not make a lot of friends by saying this, but the Riverhead Democratic Organization has been um, lackluster at best for far too long, and uh, and this is what happens. I mean, they don't they can't they try as they might. There's a there's a a core group of people I know that work really hard, um, but I just feel like there's not the overall organizational support that in the way that we've seen. Um, in the democratic uh, surge, so to speak, in election, at, at least on election days in uh, in South Old Town, since that committee got, uh, you know, was rejuvenated with new leadership and, uh, you know, people that I think have some uh, like a new, uh, new ways of doing things and some additional savvy that was lacking in the past. Um, and I feel like Riverhead is still kind of lumbering under that, uh, under that same problem. I was, I was surprised, I mean, I wasn't surprised that at all by what happened by the result in Riverhead. I really wasn't. Um, but I was surprised by the uh, county legislative races as well. I mean, the presiding officer uh, losing his seat. I don't know what the upshot was with Kara uh, Hahn in the fifth district, um, but you know she was hanging on by a thread. I'm sure there's a recount gonna be happening there. Um, and the, the, the Republicans, Republicans just, just took control of, of, the, of the legislature. By, by a lot. I mean, you know, like uh, if, if Han's seat falls, they've got 13. Mm -hmm. uh, if Han's seat, if Han loses, eventually they have 13 out of 18 uh, seats. That's uh, that's so big. Um, and, you know, I, so I don't I mean, I don't, you know, red red wave, uh, as, as one uh, congressman put it, a red tsunami. Who happens to be running for governor and sees this, uh, you know, a Congressman Zeldin sees this as a, uh, um, a you know, a, a really good sign of where things are going in New York and a really good sign uh, for his own uh, campaign uh, for governor. Um, well, he and, just and, announced and, that he was endorsed by Newt Gingrich. So, nice. you know. Uh, well, and across the board, and, and I, I yeah. think, look, the, the Ray, Ray Tierney, Ray Tierney um, winning the, the DAC on a very, like you said, Joe, was a very um, contentious race, but very, very law and order and very, um, you know, kind of towing the Republican line about, you know, changing bail reform and getting tough on gang members and getting tough on on uh, drug, you know, drug kingpins and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And I think that. You know, look, this was this was an election. It's a it's a it's an off year election. It's a town election, mostly town and county. And it's about getting out the vote. And the Republicans obviously did a better job of getting people to um, getting people to the polls than than Democrats did across the board in the county and the towns, um, you know, that that we cover. And and you would think after the last few years, um, you know, with with national politics that that it would be, you know, easier to get more people to the polls and, and the it just didn't the I don't have the exact number of of you know how many people turned out um this year but it was a pretty low number um voters do you think that there's a do you think there's a um in part it's a reflection on uh lack of inspiration among Democrats with the national leadership I mean with with President Biden and the national leadership in Congress uh, you know, Congress seems to be kind of paralyzed on just about every issue. And uh, in, in spite of having theoretical control of, of uh, at least the House of Representatives, 
I wanted to throw out a proposition, Denise, that that while I do think there was some of that, and I think certainly there are a lot of people who go to the polls and vote parties um, based on their national uh, party registration. I feel like in local races, maybe I'm naive, but I really do feel like most of the votes cast in those races are cast for the individuals who are running. And the other thing is, I think we get focused so much on the Democrats and the Republicans uh, in Suffolk County, and we forget that about a third, almost an equal number of voters are independents or no affiliation, and, and they can swing pretty wildly one way or the other. And, and, and I feel like the local races are often about the local candidates. And, and I think about Cindy McNamara in Southampton County, for instance, who I think benefited from this red wave. I think certainly the turnout of the Republicans, she is a Republican all the way. And I think that helped. But I think Cindy also has a reputation for being very active in the community. And, and I think that brings support from across the political spectrum. Brianne, I'm wondering if, if that's true, if you see that on the North Fork, that, that the party registrations are, are certainly part of the equation, but they're not the entire equation, are they? Well, um, what I thought was interesting is that um, I think that the election, personally, this is just my personal observation, I think that the election may have been a bit impacted by a set of negative campaign mailers that were sent out um, a few days before the election. Um, it was met really negatively in town. Uh, people didn't like uh, the Republican Party sent mailers um, attacking uh, members of candidates from the Democratic Party here in South Hold, and it was not received well at all by uh, by the community. So I thought that was personally very interesting. I think it may have played a role um, in the election here. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that that uh, people still hold their local officials to a higher standard, I think, of behavior. Brian, when you go vote, I'm assuming you don't vote straight party ticket, right? I mean, I'm thinking you you vote based on, on candidates, right? Is that a question which you said, Brian, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, I'll, t- I'll tilt my hand. No, I do go straight party. Oh, and that's, I do. So, and, and that voters out there. I, I do. That's the way I do it personally. Now, um, you know, I, you made some great points, though, Joe. And I and I and I um, and I think you're right that especially local politics, it's uh, it's not as much of that national politics. Yes. More of a party line. Um, so I get that. And also a uh, the independent um situation absolutely i think they they pride themselves on you know doing that swing not being predictable and maybe even going against the grain uh but i wasn't you know on a on a more shallow and not obviously uh in the know as you guys being journalists and uh all four of you are excellent excellent journalists in my opinion and you know the east end very well i wasn't surprised that south hold and east hampton went Democratic. Not at all, because of, of the people I know in both of those townships, you know. Um, and I wasn't surprised that, uh, you know, uh, Riverhead and uh, Southampton continue to go red. You know, it seems to me that, you know, it makes perfect sense with the people uh, in all of these townships, the way they think, the way they go about their lives, the lifestyle that they 
they go, that that's the way. Um, it's kind of interesting that the further east you go, the more you get uh, Democrats and, you know, the further west you go. And they say Nassau County now had that so-called red wave as well, which kind of left, you know, threw some people off their heels as well. Um, it, you know, it's an it's it's an interesting situation. It's always been this way. You guys know better than me. Was it Will Rogers or Mark Twain that says I'm not part of any organized political party? I'm a Democrat. Right? <laughs> that was that famous quote. And that's the deal. I, I've always think, first of all, the Republicans have a black and white message. They they can um, they can prey on emotion to a certain extent. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's all you know, politics is fair game across the board for the most part. I think they they can be very black and white and people want, I think, for the most part, black and white. They want people who are going to either get things done or look like they're going to get things done, have a simple, straightforward message. And like Denise alluded to, I think, you know, this problem with the infrastructure bill and, you know, whoever's responsible for that nationally. And I know I don't want to get ahead of ourselves talking nationally, you know, Manchin or this uh, this other senator from uh, the southwest. I mean, this is taken this is taken forever. And it just and that's always the way the Democrats have been, because I, I don't think things are black and white. That's my personal opinion. And I think that, you know, but, uh, you know, our attention spans and I don't blame folks at all. I want to, you know, come on. What, what are you telling me? Yes, no, get it done or not. And I think that's the way it is. People just want to hear what they want to hear. Yeah. I think you're right, Brian. And I think that trickles down. I think if the infrastructure bill and other the spending bills, if there had been a quicker result with those, then then maybe you would have seen a little more excitement from from the Democrats. Um you know, locally, I think that that certainly has an effect. And Joe, I think you're right. I mean, local elections are used to be maybe less about party, but I think it's it's as as the as the country becomes more more split and focused on party nationally, I think that filters down um, locally as well. I think you have you know more liberal residents as as Brian said, the further east you go, and and so those people are attracted maybe to the Democratic Party, but. But I, I think that, you know, certainly the conversations are, you know, um, us against them, them against us, um, you know, on, on everything in social media, nationally and all that. And that just naturally filters down. Um, I, I see that all the time in comments on on our Facebook page, especially and even on our website in, in reader comments. Um, there's a lot of us against them. There's a lot of, you know. We're the liberal mainstream media. Every time we write something about something that a person doesn't want to see something written about, we're tagged with that. Um, you know, I think that you cannot ignore the role of money in any mm. election. I mean, you know, when someone's got enough money to buy TV ads um, and um, when people are sending out, I don't know, you alluded to these negative mailers. We had that in, in Riverhead as well. Um, I don't know if you know what entity paid for those mailers in Southhold? I'd be interested in knowing that. But in Riverhead, there were at least four or five late in the game, like that, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday before election day, um, mailers that went out that were very negative, attacking Catherine Kent, the Democratic council uh, woman who ran for supervisor, and um, saying, frankly, things that were not truthful. Um, and they were um, these mailers were paid for by the New York State Republican Committee. Um, 
So how that, 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 that seems to backfire um, in some of the brand you said. Uh, yeah, it did in Riverhead. It didn't in Riverhead. It, it actually yeah. was a good brand. You said <clears throat> uh, they have backfired in, in South Pole, the aggressive mailers, right? No, it was definitely not well received. Uh, there were a lot yeah. of letters to the editor condemning it in uh, the paper that week. Um, and I, I would like to note that uh, that a good portion of the uh, Republican Party condemned it as well. It was not, um, it didn't seem like a, a decision that was come to across the party. Um, and I'm just looking at the article that was written about it. And it says, uh, New York State campaign finance records show the South Hold Town Republican Committee has paid a Jacksonville, Florida firm specializing in direct mailing and national for national campaigns, $10,000 in September 21st. So I don't know. Um, that Did the mailers have a paid for by on them or? Um, I'm looking at the piece now. I didn't personally see it because I, I don't okay. look in the area. Yeah. Um, you know what? It, it, it leaves. Let me let me very quickly yeah. just remind you behind the headlines on WLIWFM. <laughs> I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group, and our panelists today are Brian Letta from the Times Review Media Group, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, and Brian Cosgrove from WLIWFM. Denise, um, you you actually had an article this week talking about campaign financing in the local elections. And this has been an ongoing conversation we've been having about how money and and outside influences remarkably are starting to filter into like town and local elections um, in this region. It's a, it's a fairly new phenomenon, I think. But you, you took a closer look at one specific candidate uh, in this last race. Well, I mean, I, I would say it's a somewhat new phenomenon. It's been like a, a growing trend. It's been like an upward trend, the, the amount of money being spent on local races. Certainly in Riverhead, I can't speak for other places, but, um, you know, Riverhead's got a lot of, there's a lot of for sale in Riverhead. Let's put it that way. You know, you have these um, uh, these solar these solar facilities um, there are people that want to do battery storage now to store the energy produced by the solar facilities. There's a lot of development pressure in Riverhead, and there's a lot of vacant land in Riverhead that's developable, that's industrially zoned. And there are, you know, you see things like the developer of the biggest industrial proposal in the town, which is not at Epcal, by the way, but 400,000 square feet. Um, being, um, you know, donating $5,000 to the uh, Riverhead Republican Committee. Um, the committees don't have the same campaign uh, limits as individual candidates, which the, the, the limits are based on, <clears throat> excuse me, they're based on um, the um, number of registered active voters in the town. There's a formula in state law. And, um, in Riverhead, that number was came out to $1,185 that any individual corporation or LLC can, or union PAC or any other kind of PAC can contribute to an individual candidate. But the party committees don't have that same limit. You can spend a lot more. So they kind of do sort of a money laundering operation. <laughs> um, and the state committee is even uh, higher, you know. So, you know, when you see these mailers coming out uh, paid for by the state committee with the state's, you know, uh, postage insignia on it, et cetera. Um, who's, who's paying for that and why? How did that happen? The state committee doesn't just decide to plunk thousands of dollars into a local campaign. 
in support of any slate of candidates or an individual candidate attacking, you know, their opponent. Uh, that doesn't just happen. And um, there were some, I thought, interesting contributions to the state committee made by an individual who happens to be a billionaire um, that has some interests in Riverhead. Um, and I don't, you know, there's no requirement that they just, that there's a disclosure of what that was intended for. Um, but, you know, we do know that the, that the, uh, the donations were made. Um, but, you know, you have things like that, people with pending applications contributing to candidates at amounts over the maximum. Um, and, uh, you know, see what happens with that down the road. But um, we had um, a, a lobbying firm that that lot was a paid lobbyist for one of the giant uh, solar companies and also had worked, but maybe is not currently working for the company that's buying EPCAL and it's um, Park at Park Avenue Strategies uh, or Park Strategies, sorry. And that's a, a, a lobbying firm that um, was founded by Al D'Amato. Remember him? Um, they do lobbying. That firm contributed $2,500 to the incumbent supervisor's campaign. There were just so what, like a bunch so, of excess so, donations. So what happens when when these when these donations are are higher than than the limit? Well, maybe nothing. It's up to the New York State Board of Elections to enforce it. There are penalties in the law uh, for accepting them. Um, they're not technically in violation until election day. Mm. Um, they can right up till election day refund the the excess, um, and we won't know if that happened until they file their 27 day uh, post election report on November 29th. Um, but um, you know, if if the, the state board of elections said that if they receive complaints, they will investigate them, and the state uh, elections uh, general counsel's office uh, does prosecute uh, those violations. So. We'll see. I mean, but, you know, that seems like sort of a crapshoot. I don't know that that will happen or not. And people, you know, I mean, the supervisor candidate, the incumbent supervisor took a $4,000 donation. Again, the limit was $1,185, to be clear, a $4,000 donation from a, a firm called Rand Industrial in Denver, Colorado. And um, why? Uh, you know. Ask why? What, what's what's the why is that outside money coming into local races? In, in some cases, is it just these are organizations that support party politics, and so they support local candidates of that party all over the nation, well, or, or or they have I, or they have development interests in in Riverhead Joe, which is ripe there. for yeah. for a lot of these you know big. That's what that's projects. what we saw. That's frankly that's what we saw. We really. Alec and I really dug in and analyzed all the contributions and looked into who was making them and what they're, you know, I mean, they're, they are, they're, they're, there are a lot of developers, some of whom don't yet have projects and proposals pending that we know of. Uh, and there are a whole host of like law firms, engineering firms, and that kind of thing. As of the 32 day pre report, uh, 32 pre general election report, um, 72% of the incumbent supervisors donations or contributions came from uh, outside in, outside interests and uh, the majority of them were businesses and you know 
I, I don't, I mean, and, and some of that, some of that's pretty typical, Denise, right? I mean, I think, you know, in, in, in races that we've covered in Southampton, we, we see that a lot too, where you'll see, I think mostly we've seen local, local developers and, and sometimes you'll see they'll, they'll donate to both sides or, or, or whatever, but 72 percent seems yeah, like a, it seemed pretty steep. And, you know, I mean, certainly this was not something that was uh, novel to this particular, you know, candidate. For sure. I mean, this is, you know, this goes on. And it, it, I wrote an actual editorial piece saying, you know, this is why we need some kind of campaign finance reform, because this is wrong. The system is broken when, you know, people with money can buy the government in Washington and in Albany and in town hall, you know, downtown here. Um, where do the people fit into this? Yeah. And, you know, without without public financing, frankly, and I don't feel, I don't think that will ever change. And I don't think we'll see public financing and certainly in my lifetime, I don't know, um, because that's how the system works. And that's why people, you know, have grown so distrustful. It, it, of, cer of it certainly, it certainly outweighs the couple hundred bucks or even the thousand bucks that, that individuals can, can donate to a campaign when you've got all these um, you know, larger organizations donating thousands of dollars, um, you know, combined, um, I would think. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, over a hundred, over a hundred and eleven thousand dollars as of, you know, a couple of days, 10 days or whatever that before this election uh, was raised by the incumbent supervisor in Riverhead. Joe, what were you saying? Your mic's kind of going in and out a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Just to, that I feel like that's uh, the the money is trickling down. It's it's yeah. it's it's started to infiltrate the lowest level of the ballots now, and 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 that's really uh, alarming to to me. And and I think that we've seen it even at the village level, where uh, some of the village races have involved lots of money coming in and lots of money being spent on uh, aggressive campaigning and. Uh, I don't think anything good comes from that, but I think it's up to voters to sort of draw a line and say that that's that's just not going to affect my vote moving forward. And that's that's something that has to be done uh, at the polls, basically. How, um, how do we get people to pay attention is what I want to know. Yeah. Uh, really, that's, it, you know, in, I think it's interesting because I think there's a lot of interest um among some people but it, it i don't know that it cuts widely and and people really should take the time to get to know what they're voting on um when they go to the polls even at the you know especially at the local elections uh, and it's disappointing the turnout was as low as it was too because we we tried to keep sending the message that this is really where your vote counts the most um is at the local level and for there to be, you know, less than a third of voters turning out is is a shame. In, in local elections, these are important. They they matter to your life in a direct way. Um, it affects your life every day. So it um, it'd be interesting if we could figure out a way to get more public participation in the elections in general. Um, this is Behind Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group. Uh, our guests today are Brianne Letta from the Times Review Media Group, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, and Brian Cosgrove from WLIW. Before we leave the election, which we can do here at some point, but I, I do want to talk about the proposition, um, the five state propositions, I'm sorry, proposals, five state proposals that were on the ballot 
um, this week, this past week. Um, they were sort of a mixed bag, and I believe only two of them were approved. Um, and I think it's interesting because, for instance, I, I mentioned this before we started the show, our newspaper actually editorialized in favor of all five propositions. And Denise, I know Riverhead Local ran an opinion piece from someone who made an argument to vote no for all the propositions. And I think made fairly salient arguments for why you might choose to do that. I think these were, I, I, I found this to be a really interesting sort of taking of the pulse of the electorate. And the two things that did not pass were both ballot measures that, that would have extended um, the right to vote. One would have allowed, it would have basically waived, it would have allowed same day registration at the polls for voters. And the other would have expanded broadly the uh, ability to use absentee ballots. And those both got voted down. Um, what do we what do we take away from that? I mean, was that just an overreach? Was it an attempt to do too much? Denise, the expansion of the absentee ballots, that was the like no excuse absentee ballot measure. Right. Right? I mean, that was how it was expanded, which meant like right now you have to have some reason you're going to be out of the district on Election Day or you're sick or homebound, et cetera. You need a, a reason for getting an absentee ballot. You just can't get one, which that, you know. Uh, was made available to people uh, without an excuse, so to speak, during the COVID crisis. Um, and they wanted to kind of make that permanent. And um, I, I mean, I think that the, those measures and particularly the absentee ballot measure, I think just got tied up and wrapped up in kind of the propaganda. Can I use that word that yes. has been spread about the role of mail-in voting in the election that was that you know some people are still claiming was stolen, uh, including some local elected officials. That was my and that's the, the 2020 election. That was concern, Denise, is that by voting down both of those propositions, and by the way, we have to remember too that, for instance, with the absentee ballot proposal, I mean, we do have um, extended voting periods now in New York State. That's a relatively mm -hmm. Thing. And so it makes it a little more convenient for everybody to vote. The need to extend, extend the absentee ballots might be a little less significant than it was before that. But Brian, I'll ask you, I mean, I feel like the problem with voting down those two measures, same day registration and the absentee ballot, the no excuse balloting, the problem is it buys into this narrative that those two things can be misused for um, illicit purposes. And there's just no evidence of that. I mean, those two things exist in dozens of states in the United States, and there's just no evidence that either of those has, has made um, the vote tally any less uh, reliable. And my concern is that by voting down those measures, it lends credence to this idea that those kinds of ballot measures, which are designed to just make it easier to vote, are actually op open up the possibility of fraud. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think Denise, Denise hit it uh, right on the head when she said that message that they're putting out is getting across that there is voter fraud and let's this would open the door to more voter fraud. And there's no Joe, as you said, there's no evidence that any of these things lead to voter fraud. So, um, again, I think it's a, it's more messaging that's being that's working from one side as opposed to the other side. 
the messaging is obviously getting through, in my opinion, because as you said, and, and Denise, there's no evidence of any of this, that it's a problem. It should be done. I mean, uh, everybody should have the chance to vote whenever they can. And um, the other thing is that I didn't do my homework as much when I flipped a ballot for the and, you know, whoever writes those things, it's like an exercise <laughs> of semantics. It's like I felt like I was reading, you know, a law journal. I, I, well, I was going to say. <laughs> I hope I, I, you know, hit the right yes or no with what I thought I was doing. But I had to read a couple of them like three times. And I was like, it was early and I was only on my first cup of coffee. And I was like, geez, I hope I'm doing the right thing. What I want to do. I wasn't even sure when I walked away. I think that's I think that's true every every year. And and I think, you know, part of it is, is you know, and some of it's our responsibility. And, and I think we need to to maybe earlier and better explain those things. But but you, you don't see a lot of, um, you know, push either way for or, or against them from, you know, from whoever is putting them on on the ballot, because it's not you know, it's not these these two parties. Um, you know, fighting for, you know, for election seats or, or whatever. So there's really not a lot of promotion. And maybe New York State needs to do a better job of, of explaining those, um, you know, to the to the public as well. Um, you know, I, I think I think Brian makes a very salient point, though. I mean, some of these propositions, sometimes, you know, you have to vote no to be voting yes or right. around like it's like <laughs> upside down and backwards. And as uh you know, as the saying goes, first we kill all the lawyers. <laughs> and being a lawyer, I don't, I don't like that. But you know, yeah. uh, you know, I was in Colorado recently, and um, I was told that they had ballot measures there. And weeks before the vote, they received packets of information from the state See? that outlined the pro and con arguments for every one of the ballot measures, and and give them extensive background on on what the measures actually mean. I think that's a remarkable thing. And in Colorado, they actually are they were the first state to begin mailing ballots, absentee ballots to every voter. And that's something that they still do. So that's interesting. Brian, I started to say um, one of the, the measures that did pass and it surprised me a little bit was the state constitution amendment that adds the right to clean air and water to the state constitution, to the to citizens' rights. I felt like that was one that would probably go down in flames because it was an overreach, um, you know, because that's a big deal. I mean, you're adding to the state constitution a very environmental uh, measure that may suggest that New Yorkers, despite um, the red wave and despite the disagreement on some of this stuff, we do agree on some things and one of them is the environment. You know, I definitely would agree with that. That's been a consistent issue, I think, on both. Um, I've heard them from both sides here. Um, and I also like going back to what you guys were saying earlier, I think that that was one of the more clearly written um, proposals on the ballot, which might have um, played a role in that, I, I think, personally. It's a simple idea, right? Um, have any teeth, though, Joe? I mean, OK, so everybody's got a right to clean air and water. How do you vote against that? I mean, the, the, right. is, there, is there any framework to it, though, that that, you know, that the, the gives it any teeth? I mean, well, you know. I think teeth come um, from the uh, Denise's colleagues in the legal profession who maybe can use that uh, as a lever. To, to really greatly expand a lot. I mean, I feel like having, having a measure in the state constitution 
that says that. Um, I know one thing they said it would free up some money um, at the state level to spend on environmental measures uh, a little more easily. But, but Denise, the, the, the thing that made me skeptical of that passing was it feels like it opens up a big path for a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of court fights. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's ironic because it's like the vaguest of the all, you know, the, the most vague of all of them. Um, and, um, you know, and it's the one that passes. And maybe that's why it passed or it was just in plain English. Um, and who can who wants to vote against clean air and water? I mean, now, you know, but really, what does it mean and what impact it will have? Uh, I really think that there's no way to tell just yet. And that's a little scary. But um, I just checked because I wasn't sure I hadn't really followed up on what happened, but um, the, the three initiatives having to do with um, the three proposals having to do with voting, um, the one with the redistricting, limiting the state senators and uh, the redistricting by a simple majority as opposed to what, 60 percent, I think, um, by this in the state legislature, um, that is uh, that went down the mail in ballot went down and um, the um, same day voter, same day voter registration for lack of a better way to put it uh, went down. So um, yeah, that was really the only one. And I guess uh, the New York city court uh, proposition or proposal passed also. Right. So um, just just back to the the clean air and water one. I mean, as Greta would say, maybe it's a little blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, but blah 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 can be dangerous. Yeah, I wonder if the uh, the recent uh, <clears throat> climate change summit. I think that probably had. So I think that went well, the the climate change summit, and I think a lot of people were, you know, might have been swayed by that to kind of lean environmental, even if they don't go that way. It may suggest that that the idea of uh, New York State being an environmental leader has some traction in both parties. Like, like it doesn't in other states. So that may be something to keep an eye on moving forward. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. Brianne Letta, I wanted to ask you, you have a story this week about Greenport, and they're having the same conversation that a lot of municipalities are having locally about whether or not to opt out from allowing uh, adult-use marijuana sales. Um, the state has decriminalized marijuana but there's still no legal framework in place yet to allow the sale of marijuana that's expected to come in the next year or so. But um, local municipalities have the option right now of opting out. They can protect their right to say, we're not going to allow retail sales in our municipality. Greenport's having that conversation right now. Where, where does it stand? Uh, so they set a public hearing for uh, November 29th at 7 p.m. Um, I spoke to the mayor uh, before I wrote the article just to see, you know, what's the feeling on the village board right now. And he said it's kind of right in the middle. Um, a few months ago, uh, there they had spoken. They had seemed pretty against it in um, previous town meetings. But um, he said that they've heard from some people who were in favor and it kind of, I guess, shifted them. So a lot depends on um, public sentiment and what people are saying at the hearing, I think. Denise Riverhead went through this and, and had a split vote. Uh, yeah, and they and they voted they voted against the uh, 
here you go, Brian. They voted against the opt-out legislation. <laughs> so they voted not to opt out three, three to two. Um, and they did that earlier on the uh, town attorney in Riverhead. Uh, and I, I kind of I, I tend to agree with this, although Fred Thiel uh, came out with an opinion to the contrary, apparently. But, um, you know, that that this had to be done and, vote, you know, in time to get it on the ballot because it requires a referendum uh, or not requires a referendum. It's subject to a permissive referendum. Um, and that had to be, all happen in time to get it on the ballot before the end of the year, which would have been essentially the this election just passed. But um, uh, apparently, uh uh, Assembly Member Thiel and some others said, no, that's not the case. It just has to be uh, voted on by the end of this year. And so if then if there is a, a, a petition that qualifies for a, a, a referendum on it, um, I, I don't I mean, they may have to have a special election on that if that happens. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Greenport's just one. There are other municipalities that are considering this. Right. I mean, yeah, and as I understand, if, they, if, a, if a municipality chooses to opt out, they're really just preserving the ability to do that down the line. They can always decide. You can always you know, opt in, but you have to opt out by the end of this year. Yeah, you have yeah. to preserve your, your ability to opt out later. And as you said, any of these decisions is subject to a permissive referendum. If, if voters can get enough petitions uh, together, uh, they can put it on the ballot. I. We had a Q&A this week. I actually had a conversation with David Falkowski, who is with the, his business is Open Minded Organics in Bridgehampton. And his, his business right now is hemp. And he does a lot with CDB oil products and things like that. And, and of course, he's looking to get into the market when it expands. But he made a really interesting point, which is uh, municipalities locally that opt out. So there's two elements to this. The first is he said it's a it's really a head in the sand approach because Riverhead, for instance, has said they will not opt out. The Shinnecock Nation is certainly going to be selling marijuana products. It's likely that some other municipality in the region will. So the, the marijuana will be here one way or the other. And, and whether or not the, the municipalities opt out, it's still legal to possess it. And it will be a simple matter for for instance, if Southampton or East Hampton were, were to opt out entirely, people could just drive to the Shinnecock uh, territory, buy their products and bring them home. So it's not like you're getting rid of the marijuana. But the second part of this is, his point is, it really restricts the local market. So someone like him who wants to develop a, a, a growing operation and, and really you know, be able to sell locally, when you opt out these municipalities, they really cut off his ability to do that. And he said, what's going to happen is large multi-state operations, big mega sellers are going to fill that vacuum. And it's it's really going to, going to destroy any chance for this cannabis market to have a local benefit. I thought that was kind of interesting. We haven't really heard that in Brianne. I It's interesting to me. You said that the board heard from supporters and that may have had some effect in how some of them are voting now. I think that's something David Falkowski said, which is that so many of these boards are taking actions without hearing from supporters. And maybe that's happening on the North Fork is they're, they're finally hearing from some proponents. Yeah, no, they um, they said that a couple of people had approached them um, who in favor, which I guess swayed them a bit. And um, 
a party from Southhold had actually emailed village trustees to indicate interest, I think, in potentially opening a dispensary in Greenport. Um, they didn't really elaborate on that. Um, but I, I think that Greenport um, in particular is really relying on public sentiment on this. Yeah. You know, Riverhead did an online survey um, of, you know, to get the, take the temperature of the community. And it was like overwhelmingly in support of, uh, of it. And then, you know, three members of the board, uh, well, two members of the board then uh, voted uh, to, to opt out. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, we have uh, two things in the town of Riverhead. We have a medical marijuana dispensary. And that's been there since, I think, 2016. And um, now um, a couple of things are happening on that front. They are making it a lot easier to get certified for, you know, they're taking away the, the state is taking away a lot of the restrictions on like requirements for being eligible for medical marijuana certification. And um, the um, then they also have allowed the sale of uh, what they're calling uh, flower um, it, the smokable marijuana forms of, of smokable marijuana. And because that doesn't have to be processed and the way uh, the other forms of marijuana had to be processed for medical use, um, now that they can sell flour, it's going to be available much more inexpensively to people who need it. And, uh, and, or, and, and, by, and, so, and by by flour, we mean the buds, which, which by, yeah, pe well, people who are familiar with marijuana might right. know it better that way. Right. That's so a, they're calling it flour for whatever reason. But yeah, buds. And, yeah. Um, so um, and, and South Southampton uh, town right now um, may have interest in a medical dispensary. I know the town board is looking at um, this week, looking at, at zoning regulations that would allow medical dispensary in the town um, in certain areas. And that may be indicative of where they're going to land on the um, on the opt out measure um, by the end of the year. Although I'm hearing that. Um, that there's some dissension on, on town board members that it that uh, it could go either way on the opt out at this point. And, and to the point you made earlier, Joe, um, you know, we there is uh, a, the largest um, marijuana growers and uh, dispensers in the country, which is based in Rochester, Columbia Care. This year, bought a 34 acre farm that's already developed with greenhouses uh in riverhead off of sound avenue and um it uh it, it's a publicly traded company <laughs> um they're the people that operate the dispensary on east main street and um they have already begun cultivating marijuana plants there and they expect their first harvest um by the end of this year at, at, in those greenhouses. So, mm. you know, to the point you made about the big players, uh, you know, they're already here, at, at least in, in Riverhead. And so that it remains to be seen. And also, I mean, there are the tax revenues too, right? I mean, the sales tax revenues that the towns will get if they allow the sale in the town. So that's if they allow the sale. Yeah. And, and the other point that David Falkowski made was the negative impacts, like having to deal with people driving while high, those are, those are all still things that the villages and towns are going to have to deal with. If they don't have any tax revenue coming in, uh, they lose one resource that would allow them to, to, to be able to address that. And, and, you know, of course you, you, you have to understand he's, he's a, he's someone who wants to get into the industry and that's, that's important. But I think it's an interesting question about whether you allow local, whether, whether these moves by local municipalities are going to squelch 
a local market. And, you know, we look at the Shinnecock. Well, sure. I mean, if, you, if you're going to have it, you might as well have local people benefiting from it and, and promote yeah. local business like you promote any other local business, right? Yeah. And I mean, the Shinnecock Nation partnered with a large corporation to, to, to try and make this happen. And maybe that's going to be the, the only way forward for local producers to be able to join this budding market. Uh, I, had to, uh, <laughs> I had to go there. Though. I had just, to get that. <laughs> we are out of time. Um, quickly. We didn't even get to talk about Halloween. Um, I didn't have a single <laughs> Did anybody else mm-hmm. have a phenomenon? I had, nobody came to our house and we had lights on and pumpkins out. And didn't get a single trick or treater. I, I didn't get a single trick or treater either, but I had uh, I had the lights off and the and their chains. <laughs> <fun, so. laughs> uh, in your neighborhood, there's usually a lot of trick or treaters, Bill. I used to I, live there. I, yeah. there I, I, from what I, I I didn't see a lot of them. I did see one. Um, they didn't stop at my house, but I did see one train of at least it was like twenty kids uh, trick or treating together, and I like to see that because there's safety in numbers and and all that but um if they had come to my house that would have wiped out the entire bag of kit kats and so i don't know if that would have been a good or a bad thing halloween grinch oh. which he's happily eating now <laughs> yes so now we're definitely out of time uh, thank you for joining us this was behind the headlines i'm joe shaw my co-host is bill sutton thank you bill as always and thank you to our panelists brian cosgrove denise civiletti and brian letta thank you guys Appreciate you coming out to to talk and thank you to our audience. We'll be back next week.